This is the MyHeart.net podcast. This show is produced by Dr. Philip Johnson in conjunction with VitalEngine.com. Please welcome your host, Dr. Alain Bouchard of Cardiology Specialist of Birmingham, Alabama at St. Vincent's Medical Center, part of Ascension. Welcome to MyHeart.net, and today we're going to discuss women, heart disease, and the need for better research and treatment. And with us today, we have Dr. Nicole Lohr, who is Division Director of the Cardiovascular Disease at the University of Alabama. She's also Professor of Medicine at the Hersink School of Medicine at UAB. She's the, um, she's the Mary Waters Chair of Cardiovascular Medicine. Uh, she's also involved with the, a lot with the American College of Cardiology and currently this year, Chair of the ACC Board of Governors. So, Nicole, welcome to MyHeart.net, and thank you for your time. Alan, it's so good to see you, and looking forward to to our our conversation. Thank you. We know that cardiovascular disease is the leading cause of death among women. However, women are consistently underrepresented in clinical trials. Most of the studies are done in men, and the results of these trials are just extrapolated to women. Certainly, women are not smaller men. So, Nicole, tell us a little bit about some of the history about women's participation in clinical research, and what's the current status? I mean, are we enrolling more women in our studies? Well, I would say the current status is is we're, we're more aware and we're trying to enroll more women. And I think the take home message that I would share with the audience is, is um, for, those of, for those of us who are women, we need to, to increase our participation because we have a, a long way to go. And I think largely this is because historically we did kind of think of women as maybe smaller versions of men and, um, and sadly, incorrectly. I think the other is, if you look at the history, and um, and you and I have both had an opportunity to look at some of the articles related to that. You know, there was oftentimes concern: Are we protecting women by keeping them out of clinical trials, especially women of um, childbearing age? So, uh, yeah, when I looked at the one of the articles and and read that, I thought, wow, this is crazy. But you know, fifty years ago there was a, a, a benevolence, you know, keeping women out of clinical research. Um, so I think we've come a long way. We've had some um, incredibly great um, women's health initiatives, um, thanks to Dr. Bernadette Healy, who started that. It was some of the first um, data that we um, collected about really what to do with um, estrogen replacement after menopause. I mean, these trials were truly foundational to the way that we have treated cardiovascular disease and cardiovascular disease in women. And so though that wouldn't be possible unless we were able to, to generate various cohorts of, of women for observational trials. Um, I think of the nurses' health studies as well. Um, so there has been a recognition that we need to do more research in this area and largely the trial participation that that in those points are really, I would say, observational. Okay, I'm a woman, I'm gonna 
be enrolled. Uh, and my mother-in-law actually was enrolled um, back in the day. And yes, it was really funny because I remember being in college and she would get a phone call. Oh, I have to answer these questions. Well, you know, a survey is great, right? And, you know, tell us what happened to you in the last year, any new diseases you've developed, what medications you're on, how much sleep you're getting, you know, very, okay, I can, I can donate 20 minutes or a half hour of my time every year to a trial. The difference becomes when we need to test new therapies um, or new interventions in women, and that series of investigation is a little bit more time consuming. And, um, and that can sometimes conflict with the very busy lives that women lead. And so I think that's one of the, the larger barriers that we have in trying to enroll women in clinical trials. Tell us, Nicole, why is it so important, you know, to, to have women enroll in clinical trials? I mean, obviously, they're not men. There's all this hormonal environment, and it's so different. We need to know how these, you know, drug works. It may be completely different. Well, absolutely. And I think about how um, some of the fundamental um, hormone mechanisms that aren't even related to our sex, right? You know, um, I think of the renin, angiotensin, aldosterone uh, system, which is fundamental to um, blood pressure reg regulation. We have numerous levels of therapies at all different points in that pathway that can target, um, can target the system and reduce blood pressure. And yet estrogen also um, will, will act um, in, in that system. And so we know that we've seen um, women with uh, differences in renin and uh, angiotensin levels before and after uh, menopause. Um, so it is important um, because we, we are different and there are sex differences. And even within um, the makeup of, of, again, common pathways both sexes um, share, you can see um, genetic differences. And so I can't always predict how I will react versus you will react if I take a medication. The other thing I will say is, is that the side effect profiles and how tolerable those, um, those drugs are, are also different. And it isn't necessarily related to size. Um, the way that women versus men can um, deposit subcutaneous fat um, versus visceral fat and, and how drugs are absorbed um, in fat versus muscle are different. Um, that can speak on some level to, to maybe some of the side effects that I may have. And as well as how, what's the proper dose of the drug that I should be taking, right? You know, so it isn't just, we'll take a lower dose. Um, it may be, I might need a higher dose. I mean, most of the time it's a lower dose, right? To hit the same level of efficacy. But unless I do the trial, I would never know. Yeah, so interesting. We even see... Uh, in, in case of uh, beta blockers or ACE inhibitors, I mean, benefits that we've seen with ARNIs, you know, in HEFPEF in, in women, where it was not present in, in men, the response to resynchronization, you know, when you have heart failure, uh, women respond differently. So uh, women engagement is, is so important because it really, the therapy is really not the same. So what do you think, uh, what are the solutions? I mean, how can we increase participation of women in our clinical studies? 
Well, I think the, the first solution is really what we're doing today. So I want to thank you for even raising the topic and, and sending it out into, into the heart community. Um, those of you who are listening to this podcast um, now have a little bit more education that it is important that you participate in a clinical trial. And so education, I think, is really, is really critical. I think that um, the work that is done on a national and regulatory level through the FDA, the National Institutes of Health, as we design, as, as clinical trialists, we have an obligation um, to ensure that we have defined how many women, how many um, various groups of people need to be tested or studied um, in order to, to recognize what the appropriate uh, doses or what the side effect profile actually looks like. And so the more we have conversations with our regulatory agencies and our funding agencies helps us. And so I have really um, witnessed within some of the sponsors of clinical trials, um, a, a renewed interest in making sure that they're looking at all groups um, so women would be included, um, as well as other racial and ethnic um, groups in order to make sure that trial participation models what America looks like. That's so important. You know, I've had a, a lot of um, issues with um, enrollment age, you know, or, or you know, when in, in the inclusion criteria, a lot of times clinical studies stopping, uh, you know, at 80, um, which is a problem because, you know, I mean, obviously, you know, women, you know, tend to outlive men. So you're more likely to, you know, enroll a number of men uh, just because of some of your age selection in your entry criteria, possibly. And we're starting a, a study, which I think is going to be very interesting on factor 11 and squaglin. Um, you know, one of them is Milvixian. And there is no age limitation. And I think this is really wonderful. I mean, you can enroll, a, you know, 85-year-old, 90-year-old, and, and I'm hoping to enroll, obviously, more women, and maybe we'll reach more than 50% enrollment in women in this kind of trials. I hope we have more like this. Oh, I can't agree with you more. If the expectation for most Americans is that they will see 90, am I going to stop? treating that person at 85, 87. I mean, we're, we're providing life-saving interventions. And I think, um, and you mentioned this earlier um, at another time about, look at the, the partner trials mm -hmm. for um, transiortic valve replacement. That was a population of people who were, in, who were by definition too frail to undergo surgery, open heart surgery. And therefore those patients tended to be much older, um, some into their 90s, and um, more frail. So the actual population of people, we need to study more. And so we want to talk about women in clinical trials, but we really need to also talk about um, the real aged, um, because the expectations of most Americans is they're going to live a lot longer than 80 or 85. Yeah, and we have no data. We have none. Yeah, we're treating these patients every day. And more and more. I mean, I used to think that 80 
uh, was old, but I, it's not. I mean, it's, you know, people are still having, you know, healthy lifestyle. They're playing golf, you know, into their 90s. And, uh, you know, they're still, now they're raising their grandkids, mm-hmm. you know, a lot of time. So, you know, this is a very important patient population group, great important demographics that, you know, we need data, we need enrollment. And by increasing, I think, the inclusion, <clears throat> the age at inclusion criteria, as well as maybe, uh, you know, uh, increasing the participation of younger women, even that are in reproducing um, reproductive age. Mm-hmm. would be important. I mean, we treat these patients in our office every day, yet we have very little data, you know, of the drugs that we're giving, like statin or beta blockers or, uh, you know, or medication, antihypertensive medication. So, you know. No, I mean, you raise a great point because a lot of the indications of why we don't use certain classes of medications were largely done in uh, pregnant animal studies. Uh, and so for us, as clinicians, you and I will see women in who are pregnant with cardiovascular diseases, and everyone kind of starts to scratch their head. You know, really, what's the most effective way of treating um, treating these women? And are we doing a disservice to them by never trying to find alternative ways of of treating their hypertension or diabetes and um, and, and their heart failure. I mean, some women have peripartum cardiomyopathy and they want to breastfeed and they want to do all, all the other things that we would say are healthy. And yet we are still looking at them with not enough information to properly answer the question. So we take a very oftentimes conservative route. And so, um, which I'm not advocating we should be reckless, but clinical research might help us be able to kind of answer some of these more nuanced questions in patients. I love your idea of uh, getting women involved in clinical trial design. Um, how do we get also, uh, I think it would be so important to get our primary care, you know, involved as well, particularly when we talk about, you know, primary prevention or treatment of hypertension, treatment of hypercholesterolemia. A lot of times they're not referred to us, you know, they're treating them, you know, in their office. How do you do that? Well, I think for me as a specialist, I recognize that they are under tremendous pressure uh, to see many patients oftentimes too quickly um, to be able to get in something as noble as a clinical trial. Uh, Some of the suggestions that I would have is engaging our, um, our primary care physicians and um, advanced practice providers um, directly and re- and having them realize that there is a team of individuals in clinical trials that can support them. And so we take a hard approach. And, um, and so oftentimes I will go out to primary care sites and give a lunch and learn talking about some of the newest um, opportunities for their patients to be engaged in clinical research and, and point out to them that we have the resources to be able to, you know, just make the referral, let your patient know there's these opportunities out there and we can do the rest. And I think building that partnership is the key to success uh, because 
You're right. We're only seeing the very advanced cases or the tip of the iceberg. And it does, if we really want primary prevention, we have to get into the primary care um, clinics. Yeah, so important. I think it's important to stress to our primary care that really clinical research is about improving outcomes and improving, you know, these patients that enter clinical trials. Um, there is so much oversight. And uh, there is actually uh, all of these patients tend to do very well, you know, whether they get the placebo or the actual, you know, kind of study medicine, uh, most of the patients entering clinical trials do better from the clinical standpoint. And, and I think um, your idea of partnering with primary care is just really makes sense. Anyway, um, Nicole, we have plenty of work to do. Women, Me heart too. disease, and the need for better clinical research and better treatment. Thank you so much, Dr. Laura, for your time. And um, have a great, great time joining the UAB and, and all of its um, challenges, and particularly living in two different locations. <laughs> well, I'm happy to be uh, a resident of Alabama. And uh, Dr. Bouchard, it's been an absolute joy to be able to uh, connect with you and other cardiologists in the community. So I look forward to, to many more conversations in the future. Thank you very much. Appreciate it. To learn more from our team of cardiologists, please visit us at myheart.net. You can also follow us on social media by searching myheart.net on Facebook and Twitter. And be sure to subscribe to this podcast so you don't miss our next episode.